Hello everyone and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today we are reviewing episode 6 of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. Like always, I'm your host Clarence and I'm joined by my fellow co-host slash Trekkies, starting with none other than the Who Story himself, Cal Jones. Cal, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing quite well. I was out of town last week, but I am back tonight and as always, I'm glad to be here. Glad you are back in the fold, dude. Also on the podcast, we have Jonathan Shorts. How are you doing? I am doing very good, man. I just got back from an amazing trip on Risa. You guys should definitely visit. <laughs> Although I say to avoid anyone holding a fertility totem. <laughs> well, you know, things happen. <laughs> things happen on vacation. Uh, but it was good, man. It was good. And just to throw out my comment, since I was not here last week, last week's episode was Freaking amazing. Oh, oh, thank you, man. You enjoyed Ashley being on board for our review? <laughs> it was cool, man. <laughs> and hopefully we can bring her back on with all of you guys, because it was a load of fun doing that that review. So we're going to get into some feedback from the last Trek trivia, which was actually two episodes ago. John, do you remember the question that you posed during that review? So during what major event did the Gorn agree to join the Federation Alliance? And we did get feedback for that question from Harold again, which he is he is on it, man. And he <laughs> he writes us via email, fans at discussingtrick.com. Just listen to the podcast. According to the novel Articles of the Federation and the TNG comic Gorn Crisis, the Gorn joined the Federation in twenty three seventy four during the time of the Dominion War. John, is that correct, sir? That, my friend, is correct, sir. Awesome. Very correct. Awesome. The Dominion War. We needed all the help we could get during that war. <laughs> Even siding with the Gorn. Even siding with the Gorn. Oh, but, you know, the uh, Dominion sided with the Breen. Oh, yeah. They were pretty bad. They were yes. pretty bad. Yeah. So, we, yeah, we had to reach out for somebody. So it sounds like to me, from the way you guys are talking, that in this Dominion War, we saw the Gorn go where no Gorn had gone before. <laughs> Cha-ching. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was low-hanging fruit, but I, could, I, I so could not resist. You just took it right off of the limb, man. That's just, you could have let it hit the ground at some point. We're going to get right into our review of Strange New Worlds Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach, which was written by Robin Wasserman and Bill Walkoff, while Andy Armaganian directed the episode. A threat to an idyllic planet reunites Captain Pike with the lost love of his life to protect her and a scientific holy child from a conspiracy. Pike offers his help and is forced to face unresolved feelings of his past. So for everyone listening, if you have not seen this episode, Put us on pause, go out, watch it, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. All right, the spoiling warning has been dropped. And like always, we go to Cal Jones for the beats of the episode. Sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. Honestly, you never know. Mr. Jones, what do you have for us this week? All righty. This is what I have this week. If I disagree with your point of view, 
I should be prepared for you to disagree with mine. This line of demarcation of right and wrong lies not in reality, but in the mind of the beholder. I guess, in the end, it all depends on which side of the line one finds themselves. All right. All right. Dun, dun, dun. Mr. Shorts, what is your high-level view of the episode? Just good. I don't know what else to say about it. <laughs> I mean, again, it's just another classic Trek. I'm sure we've seen something similar to this a couple of times throughout Trek. And they put their own spin on it. Uh, and it wasn't too much. It was, you know, wasn't too little. It was just a perfect episode. And I want to say we I appreciate this series because they always put a nice little bow on the end. This time they managed not to and did at the same time, which I thought was done very well. Yeah, definitely one of those episodes that didn't necessarily give you that normal happy feeling, but it made you. It was definitely one of those that made you think. Yes. As Kyle put it in his beats, all perspective, what's right, what's wrong. It's all depends on which side of the line you're on. Mr. Jones, additional thoughts? I enjoyed this, just like Jonathan said. And I agree that there was no wrapped up good ending. But I think as with any good Star Trek, that I'm finding more and more appreciation for what you guys keep coming back and saying true Star Trek, etc. and so forth, is it makes you think. And at the end, this one made me think. So that's my high level view. What did you think? Oh, for me, I, I absolutely love the episode. I'm glad that we got a bit more of Pike's background in the form of this love interest from the past, which I want to dice it up with you guys, too, because we, we always talk about how Kirk is like the player of the Star Trek universe uh, and the intergalactic James Bond, one, one once put it. But yeah, it was interesting to see that Pike had a past, a love interest here and 10 years from his past has come full circle and he's in the situation with her again. And he gets to maybe know more about her than he wished to know <laughs> in the end of the episode. So yeah. So Pike is back at the Magellan system where he nearly died 10 years ago, rescuing this woman we come to know as Alora. So let's dive into that just a little bit on Pike having a love interest. I know we talked about at the very beginning of the series when he had the other captain in his cabin in Montana. It was kind of interesting seeing that dynamic there. But what about this? This is more of a Kirkish thing, I would feel. A woman he met, <laughs> on the, he met on the planet. It was kind of a mutual fascination with each other. What did you guys think of that in this episode? I don't know that he's quite made it to the Kirk level yet. <laughs> but he's definitely further ahead than Picard. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody further ahead than Picard. <laughs> Remember, love is the final frontier for him. <laughs> oh, God. But, you, you know, I didn't, I don't have a problem with it. Like, I've just, I mean, with the exception of Picard, like, how can you roam the galaxy and see all of these interesting things out there and not, you know, <laughs> explore? <laughs> I just, but I don't think these, like, I, I want to get more information on the woman we've seen in the cabin. I mean, realistically, like, I, I could see this lady, like, I could see that happening. Like, that, it's not like he was looking for love. He just so happened met her and, you know, sparks flew and, Maybe he thought it was something there. Now, if we go through the next episode and there's another one, then we're going to have to come and re revisit <laughs> this conversation. Mm. So I'm wondering if there is a database in Star Trek 
and and the Federation and Starfleet or whatever that says this species is compatible with that species. Because what I'm thinking is, okay, yes, you go and you see this other alien that you are attracted to, whether male, female, or you're male, female, whatever the case may be. But how do you know that you are compatible? And that was what I was thinking whenever I was watching it. So maybe I was being a little bit too scientific there. I don't know. But that was what I was thinking. I think maybe Riker wrote the book on that, you know. <laughs> sometimes you're working on working on something and you go to your toolbox and you get a wrench and sometimes it just don't fit. <laughs> then you know. Oh, God. Point taken. <laughs> hey, Judd, tell me about Harry Kim because wasn't there something... Oh, oh God. Something that, well... Wasn't there something that he recited for actually having relationships with alien species? If I'm remembering correctly, I remember him saying something about that, a statute or a rule or something. Yeah, he did. Uh, how was it that you, I, I don't remember exactly, but whatever blah, 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 regulation, blah, blah, blah states that no, no officer or incident or anybody should have any interspecies relations i guess was the word <laughs> without express written permission from the doctor and captain that never happens <laughs> no especially for poor instant kim he failed for everything wrong <laughs> that's the only thing that gets broken more than a prime directive i think <laughs> yeah you're right I, it and it start. i mean oh god yeah i mean trip got pregnant right <laughs> <laughs> oh boy Kyle, what did you think of Pike being visibly off his game? Because I've always pictured him, and even from his performance throughout the series, he has been like always impeccable response, always on task. But but Allure had him off his game a bit. Doesn't that make the character more enduring? Because to me, I'm seeing someone with a little bit of vulnerability when you're off your game, which makes that character be a lot more than just two-dimensional you know what i'm saying it just adds a layer to it so i personally enjoyed that and it adds another layer to the lady herself what kind of person even if it was a romantic relationship what kind of person throws him off that much so even the yeah. woman in the cabin didn't have that effect on him yeah and to add and to a, an agreement to what you just said look at how the actor portrayed her part differently when it was the two of them one-on-one -on -one in the bedroom scene than she did when she was around others. Mm -hmm. The the way she portrayed that character was so much more lively and, uh, you know what I'm saying? It was just, she was more stoic around the others, but was very fun, right. I guess would be a good, when it was he and her alone. And to add to what you said about adding another layer to Captain Pike, just the line, well, hello again, Lieutenant Pike. Yeah. Like, not necessarily, yes. I don't want to use the words knocked him down a notch because not, he didn't, but it made him more, you know, at this point, the crew and the viewers were looking at Captain Pike like awesomeness, right? Like, he's yeah. way up there, like awesome. Well, just her saying that just kind of brought him back down to our level. Like, yeah, this is regular old my buddy Pike <laughs> in a bad situation. Yeah, even number one was having a bit of fun with it. <laughs> but let me add this real quick, based on what you just said, Jonathan. I think our friend Lee Shackelford would agree with this. Whenever I say 
that little bit of dialogue right there, it serves just one sentence or one, or two words, Lieutenant Pike, but it is multi-layered when we keep saying layers. It it serves for the audience to establish history between the two characters. It does something with the fellow co-characters in, in you know, what you guys are saying, but then it also just makes him more. So cool. Kudos. Great writing. <laughs> and the fact that we can get all of that conversation from just this part, this so far into the show, that that's a lot. That says a lot to what they're doing with this show. So I want to, I want to get into the Magellan Magellan medicine a bit, but real quick, John, let's talk a little bit about how we know that Picard has this thing where he wants to separate personal from from duty. Don't we think in I guess we got it in this episode, but didn't this compromise Pike just a bit and maybe a bit too much? Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Because the Pike we know would have saw this coming from the moment she said Lieutenant Pike, like a wall went up for everything else. <laughs> and like everything, his duty was there from there on, like kind of on autopilot. Yeah. There was no room for any variables or anything different. He just, he just, you know, I have my duties and it's just going to happen around me, but I'm going to handle her. So before we get into how that love takes a detour at the end, Cal, I want to talk about the Magellan or Magellus customs world, whatever you want to call it in this episode. The look and feel, the technology. Rarely does Starfleet meet a technology so much more advanced, at least in the medical part, as, as they are than they are. What did you think of that concept in this episode? You know, I I thought for one point that th- there was something Game of Thronesy to it, and I know that's going backwards, considering that they were not very developed as whatever. But there were some of the scenes especially in the coronation that reminded me of Game mm. of Thrones. That said, as far as the technology goes, I know I go Doctor Who, but look at the Time Lords, the Gallifreyans. They have basically godlike powers to some extent, but it's all because of technology and advanced technology. Yeah, I agree. Their their tech is pretty impressive, especially on the medical side. And... I really loved how that dynamic played both into Mbinga's storyline and into what Pike's possible future could be with said technology. So I really love how that impacted both of these aspects of the episode. And it just kind of threw in, like you said, the Pike's timeline. And you're kind of thinking like, because here's one part of the story that no one knows. And it was never mentioned in canon anywhere else. Like what happens to him after the tragedy and like so you you know when this presents itself this medical technology and then he has that conversation about you know maybe their culture can help like you start thinking hmm maybe (laughs) this is where he ended up i mean of course he's not but yeah yeah we know he ends up back on talus four but we do know where he eventually ends up so yeah it, it is interesting to just throw those possibilities out there to see the paths that he could have took because if his reaction to what happens by the end of this episode was totally different, this could have been a possible outcome for him post the event to come right. back and possibly get treatment and possibly have somewhat of, of a normal life with a woman he loves. But of course, it doesn't happen. 
Of course not. So, so we start the episode, we see this cruiser firing at a smaller ship. Eventually it uses a tether. I did like that this was a manual tether actually (laughs) (laughs) penetrating the ship. That was pretty cool. The Enterprise easily disables the ship, no contest, but the survivors beam aboard Alara. And we get these two other characters, this man and his boy, and this boy who we come to know is the first servant thoughts on these two characters i think the guy's name was gamal you got gamal and you had the first servant so thoughts on this and where did you guys think this was going obviously this kid was pretty smart from the get-go well many things crossed my mind the first thing was like maybe i I don't i really i don't know i mean i figured maybe he was like the king or something yeah that's you know like and then I thought, well, maybe he's like, there's some kind of surrogacy going on one way or another. So you remember that episode of Enterprise? They meet this culture that uses the third gender as reproductive, as part of a reproductive system, but they kind of just treats it as like a tool and not a being. Yeah. So I kind of thought, kind of crossed my mind that like maybe in this culture, like there's a child involved, some kind, like something weird. Like I knew something was weird by the way they were kind of treating him. Kind of going back to what Cal just mentioned a minute ago with the Game of Thrones thing. At first, I thought, oh, this is like the chosen one for the society. This is like the new king, and mm-hmm. I, I very much was going down that path. Uh, what about you, Cal? Yep i I didn't see the twist at first. I thought that the father was out to get the son, you know, in some way. I thought he was truly trying to sabotage his ascension for whatever reason. I didn't know what it was. You know, I didn't see the twist that they revealed toward the end. I was wondering more throughout the story as to what the child was. Was he sort of like in Captain Marvel, the supreme intelligence that's Mm. the Kree, all the knowledge of the past Cree scientists and uh, doctors and whatever are in the supreme intelligence. Likewise, did this child, because of the implants, have all of their knowledge? And I based that on, look how smart this child was. Yes. And I really wish they would have went that direction. They really didn't give us an explanation why he was so brilliant, other than their culture is just so advanced. But it would have been interesting if they would have said, oh, these quantum bio implants makes them much smarter than everybody, too. <laughs> I was trying to think of another and the only thing I come up. But I thought I mean, there's been episodes previous where there was a child kind of put in a and this wasn't necessarily a leadership position, but like a very high status on the, in their world. And I know you see episode of DS9, whereas it's uh, probably 16 year old girl that was like the leader of her people or something, but I somewhere I remember seeing this kind of played out before, and I don't remember where that is. Do you? Mm, no, I can't quite put my finger on it. Yeah, it was a it was, it was another episode where it was like a girl that was like the queen. Mm. Or maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Clarence, think of the and now this was a discussing who Doctor Who episode, but we didn't like this episode actually. But there was a an eleventh Doctor story where there was Mary Galel, the Queen of something that was with the vampire planet thing that was. Remember that? I don't remember the name of it, I'm but you know what I'm talking either. about. Yeah, I, I think I think I know what you're talking about. But 
Yeah, the rings uh, of a- the rings of Abracadabra. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, very similar. The the rings of Akatan. Yeah. Yeah, okay, you're right. The Rings of Akatan is the episode where the girl was being sacrificed to the demon beast thing. I can't remember exactly what it was, but you're right. That was very similar in that aspect. But I found it real interesting with this character, with this this first servant, uh, how they made us love him so much at the very beginning. (laughs) You got this little kid. He's smart. He's trying to build all these cool things while he's there in sickbay. And it turns out this technology that they're using for his bio implants could greatly help Mbinga and his child, which, man, I, I was really wanting that to work out because I'm really starting to like the little girl, the little character and seeing, you know, father, son there, I think is really cute. So hopefully this leads to something. <laughs> and again, they set this up when you turn the episode on and they kind of give you a recap of what happened in the past. Yeah. And they specifically choose certain lines of dialogue from each character. And it turns out to be kind of a a main story point in the current episode. Yeah. So I kind of was waiting for that because, you know, they mentioned, you know, Mbingo's one of the cut twos was Mbingo talking about his daughter being held in transporter pattern. So I kind of I kind of pieced that together when we saw the miraculous medical technology that this was going to be a thing. So what we get from what's going on. From the actual rescue, we get a little more information from Alora that the first servant is chosen at birth by lottery to embody the Magillus maxim of science, service, and sacrifice. Three things that mean something totally different by the end of this episode to me, but (laughs) (laughs) science, service, and sacrifice forsaking his family because everyone on the planet is his family. Again, we reference the Doctor Who episode. Just a pretty cool concept what's going on here, which... Again, by the end, kind of gets bent on its head. We find out that this planet has no disease of any kind. Their medical tech is just far beyond the Federation. So let's get into some of the happenings of Yahira and Leon in combat training, which I thought were really freaking hilarious and good. (laughs) Thoughts on their dynamic in this episode. And I really wish I had these seven lessons written down somewhere, but Thoughts on Yuhura and Lehan in this episode, Cal Jones. So step seven, where you'd leave no stone unturned, was my favorite one because I was expecting her to be embarrassed at some point, and I did not want that to happen. And I'm so glad that she aced that one, which evidently was like the big one. Whereas, you know, like I think the third one or the second one, which is something of uh, how was your break? It was great. No, you're if you're in security, you're never on break, you know, or something to that effect. Yeah. But I love the fact that she showed without even being told what to do. it, It just was foreshadowing what the character becomes because she did it naturally without having to be taught the lesson. So that was cool. Did you get what the real training for step seven would have been if not for her de- decoding these? Uh, these <laughs> <laughs> it, it was uh, Magat- Magato breeding stones overturning them is what she would make them do to learn the lesson. And you know what the Magato is, don't you? No, but but I thought it was no leave no stone unturned. Yeah, but to learn that lesson, she would have normally had them turning overturning Magato breeding stones. 
Ah, oh, okay. And you, from the, you will know from the Lower Decks episode, Magato Gamato, you know what the Magato is, right? Uh, I try to anything <laughs> oh, Lower Decks. Boy. I try to like keep that out of my memory. Was Magato the the big monkey? <laughs> yes. Oh God. <laughs> Yeah, yes. you know, Cal, you'd have been very disappointed in that one because you'd have been terribly embarrassed. Is <laughs> there uh, thoughts on this combat training from Leon? I love this dynamic, man. I love it. I love it. I love it. And it's building Laura's character like perfectly, like these trainings that she's going through. But Leon's training is different. Like I'm thinking everything is a test. Like every time I see her doing something like this gotta be another test. And I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, but that just kind of was fitting in the situation. But she's also not necessarily, was it combat training or security training? They, I'm pretty sure Pike said combat training. I'm pretty sure too, but I, they were approaching this more on a security standpoint, which kind of threw me off. Yeah. But all, all in all, what it was leading me to say was, She's learning a lot more than combat and security with this training. And surprisingly, it's coming coming from Lanon, who's teaching her lessons that I think Lanon needs to know. I think I really love that dynamic. I love that you really trusted your hero with decoding all the time. You can't follow rules as they are written to, to the exact T. <laughs> Sometimes you have to do stuff a little bit differently. And she trusted your hero to actually decode these these chip, these data chips. So I thought that was really cool that, you know, a little relationship moment for those two to become a little bit closer. But I kind of felt like she kind of we didn't get the repercussions of it, but I kind of threw her under the bus there. Because, <laughs> you know, you didn't supposed to have these chips. You kind of stole them. And now you're going to tell her to go present your findings to the captain. So where did you get these findings from? I didn't see it. Like, I saw it as a proud moment. Well, it was a proud woman. And it's kind of one of those things like the, the, end, the end justifies the means. But still, that wasn't mentioned. I thought I would have said, like, yeah, I'll be glad to present this. But I'm telling him you brought these chips on board. I didn't do this. So we instantly start to see that some things aren't right. We, of course, we get those chips and we get also the brain scanner that Spock got from the crash ship as well. And it seems as if Laura is being a little deceptive in what she's telling us or the information she's willing to give us. We find out that these people on this colony are former people from Magellus that have started a new colony went away for certain reasons. So we don't know all the details there. Did you ultimately think Alora was a culprit or did you kind of think it would be the dad Gamal? I thought, I thought it would have been the dad Gamal, hmm. which we kind of see in the end. It was kind of him, but for good reason. So really the culprit was her, but I mean, I, I knew maybe that she knew more about what was going on, but I didn't think she was complicit in such a heinous act. And I agree it was a heinous act, but I go back to, I think the beauty of this episode is to them, it wasn't. Right. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Cause to them it was, and she said as much, I mean, they realized that and they would, it would disrespect the child if they would say otherwise, but that was their only choice. Because she makes the point to sacrifice one rather than sacrificing many children or right. other people in their culture. It's just a decision you have to make in order to make things better for everybody. These are the many, I guess, in a way. 
but still a very hard concept. I mean, if you think you look back to, you know, I'm going to go back to Cal <laughs> Game of Thrones to that medieval time or maybe even a little bit further back of sacrificing the one person or the virgin girl or whatever to get something back for all the people. To me, it's kind of the same thing. It really doesn't, even though it's even though it's good for the people, it's still like a heinous act that's hard to reckon with. See, for me, I think if the three of us, any of the three of us were presented with that option, we are all three adults. We are all three capable of making decisions on our own. And if we choose to do that, then so be it. That is the choice that we made. That said, this child was not given that choice. And I think that is that demarcation line that I was talking about is, Yes, he's been raised to have this expectation, but I don't think really knows until you get there and we see, you know, he's got that fear moment that we see and they still just do it anyway. Mm. So question. Response. <laughs> what I mean, it's, a, it's one of those things like put yourself in a situation. If, if it was planet Earth and it was dependent and like. And I'm not saying one way or another is right or wrong. Like, what would you think? <sighs> Why does it have to be a kid would be my answer. Hopefully it would be somebody adult that's willing to sacrifice themselves for the good of the many. But man, it's hard when it's a kid, you know? Yeah. And of course, if you want to kid sacrifice what many people would consider kids turn 18, go off to war. They sacrifice themselves for our country very willingly. I don't know. Maybe uh, Laura had a good point in, in what she was saying. It's just tough. But I don't I, I think Pike's response was still the right response. Like, how could you? I thought you were such an enlightened race of people on this planet. And this is what you're doing. Something so barbaric to survive. So do you think his disappointment was more of a professional social disappointment or more of a personal intimate disappointment in her? I think he was disappointed in her. And also it kind of comes back to him because he saw a possible out for his future. Added on to the fact that he loved, he obviously loved this woman. So <laughs> it was multi, multifaceted, you know, disappointment for him. But I do feel like in the end, what they were doing with just was just too much, just unacceptable by any means for him as a captain and his morals and beliefs. Do you think if, it had not been a personal relationship with her. He would have gone to get the child or try to stop it. Oh, that's hard. I think they would have investigated it further. Right. <laughs> and, and, and let me add this. He was there as a friend and this race of this planet has purposely not joined the Federation because of maybe some of these practices that would not go along with Federation values. So he wasn't really supposed to be there anyway in that aspect. So, yeah, he. I think his hands were tied. Either way it went, he just had to leave. I just see, like, if Picard would have been in this situation, even, I think, and, you know, he's the first one to, you know, recite prime directive and what's right and wrong. I think he still would have done something. It really is a tough one. And I think it all aided in that feeling that you talked about by the end of the episode where you just have to think about it. Right. <laughs> and that's what the episode is meant to elicit is to make you think. And isn't that mm. what's great about Star Trek? That's what, for me, that's what I love about Star Trek. That's why I watch it all the time. Because not only is it entertaining and just good TV and good writing, 
but it also makes you think about current world and our problems and how we think about certain situations and address other differences. And it's just awesome to make you think like that. I don't think he would have done anything based on what you guys just said. He was somewhere he should not have really have been had he not had that connection to someone, not only someone on the planet, but someone in power. He really wasn't even supposed to be there. So I think any action that he would have taken, he would have been taken that or he would have been taking that action on behalf of the Federation for which he was not authorized to do. So I don't think he really could. Yeah. and, and, And just to add on to what John said earlier, where there's people on this planet that don't even like that this happening, but he's making a sacrifice. Uh, was it sur- science, service, and sacrifice? He's making a sacrifice for the people on the planet. Now, what makes it even more interesting and complicated is that there's a group of people on this other planet that's close by that don't <laughs> want it to happen either. You know, and this dude that his son got randomly selected. Yeah, he's like, no, this is my son. I want my son to live. So the fact that there's people on the planet that aren't in agreement with what's going on, it does complicate it a lot more. One more thing I want to mention real quick before we wrap this up. I love the part where Rakaya, is that her name? And the first servant were playing together and they had like a little colorful hopscotch going on. (laughs) Yeah, that was good. So cute. So cute. And, and I love the interaction between Spock and first servant. Yeah, the first servant. Like that little interaction, a little scientific banner they had going, that was pretty cool too. And and to see look on Spock's face, like, wow, a child is challenging me intellectually. That's <laughs> that was pretty awesome. Yeah, to see. and even the fact that the fact that Gamal was able to get their scanner patterns from the medical bay, from sick bay, really awesome. Because Pike's like, how did they get off my ship? I want to know. <laughs> I want some answers. So that was really great too. So yeah, I, I think it was well written because. I think it would have with a fine tooth comb, you probably would want to try to pick apart some of the happenings, but they explained everything pretty well in the story. So kudos again for great writing. Yes. Yes. Let's go ahead and get ratings for the episode. And I'm going to flip it around. John, we're going to start with you. Oh, hello. Uh, <laughs> five, sir. I, I, I keep telling you, just just go on and announce five for me, and you can just skip right on over. I don't see this getting any worse. Wow. Yeah. For me, I really like this episode, and you know, watching it again today and kind of taking it in again, I liked it even more. So I'm going to four point eight for me. Four point eight. Wait, 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 wait. You can't just gloss over the point two. I gotta know what the point two. The point, the point two. Um, I don't. Is uh, only right. In a, we're only in the fact that I enjoyed some other some episodes more than this one. So that's I'm I'm uh, that's where I'm doing. It. I'm not really docking for anything bad in the episode. It's just I've enjoyed other episodes more. So 4.8 for me. Mm. <laughs> I, I really like how Clarence worded that and I'm going to mirror 4.8 for the exact same reasons. Wow. I just I mean there is episodes I like better. I'm not going to say like better. I just like them better. Because they were different. I don't know if that makes sense. I, I don't see how they could mess this up, man. They keep, I, I, I just don't see it. Like, and it's, and it's not, again, because of the episodic nature of it. Like, it's, it's not hard to make a good quality show each week. Yeah. 
Like, you can't mess it up. We're not trying to tie into last week. We're not trying to make sure this continues. We're not trying to keep the story interesting. Like, it's a new story every episode. And you only get an hour, and you can do a lot in an hour with a contained story. All right, guys, what did you think about the episode? How do you rate this one? John is five all the way. Me and Kyle are 4.8. You can send that feedback into fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. You can also use those outlets to respond to Trek trivia. John, what do you have for us this week? All right, so I didn't dig too deep. I'm going to give you something. I'm sure no one knows this answer right offhand. If you do, you need to be part of our show. But (laughs) it's going to be easy to find. So to date, as of today, how many series episodes and movies are there in Star Trek, including original series, spinoff series, animated series, canon, and Kelvin movies? Uh, Well, I don't know the answer to this, Kyle. Do you know? (laughs) I do not. So repeat that one more time. So to date, how many series episodes and movies of Star Trek are there, including the original series, spinoff series, animated series, canon, and Kelvin movies? All right, you Trekkies out there who are deep into the lore and know that answer, please respond into those outlets I mentioned before. Again, thank you all for joining us. And until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to DiscussingTrek.com slash subscribe. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com.